Hello, I am Ariel Munafo. And I am Moshe Ferber. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast. The podcast about security engineering. Hello, everyone. Another episode of Silver Lining. And with me, as always, Moshe Ferber. How are you, Moshe? Perfect. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you uh, for uh, arranging this. And I see that you just up for the occasion, so thank you for that as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a special guest. Uh, we always love to have a, a woman in our uh, in our show. And uh, Gosha, I hope I did the, say the name okay. Uh, not perfect, but uh, hi, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Great. So uh, you are in the US, US right uh, right now? Yes, I am I work for IBM Research in the United States. Right. Can you introduce a little bit about yourself and uh, about what you do in IBM? So as I said, I work in research. I've, uh, I am an IBM fellow and I uh, work and have a role of uh, a CTO for hybrid cloud research. So I've been working on cloud for, um, I brag about it, for 20 years since my in- first internship in IBM. I've worked on a number of projects, but over the last few years I've been focusing on security For cloud and specifically focusing on containers as you know as you know containers emerged as a primary ways in which developers are de- delivering applications to cloud yeah yeah I, uh, I've been looking at your profile and I saw there's a uh, open source and a lot of uh, um, interesting research you made about containers so we're happy to talk about it can you little bit can you give us a little bit but a little bit more info about what are what do you think containers are how they're changing the cloud how they change the way that we develop software containers are not new so I do not want to spend too much time about this but of course over the last let's say five years it really transformed how developers are doing DevOps how they are delivering applications to cloud this you know packaging format the ease of uh, uh, deployment the portability uh, makes them uh, incredibly attractive. For development of cloud native applications so they really took the developer community by storm so the growth of in, in container adoption has been tremendous over the last years okay and how this is affecting security before we dive in we have uh, two parts that we're going to talk about this specifically anything you want to say about containers and security so there are a few things that are happening when you have a transformation there are usually multiple things that happen in parallel So on one hand, you have adoption of containers. Containers fundamentally come with increased security risks because of increased attack surface. Essentially, the interface between the container and the underlying kernel is larger. So that's one area where threats are happening. But at the same time, uh, when you adopt containers, usually you also shift to microservices. So you develop your applications in a different way. Well, applications increase much more, much richer communication patterns between themselves. So uh, you end up having much larger attack surface that you need to protect. Essentially, a lot more interactions that need to be secured compared to monolithic applications when everything was contained within a single blob of code. And then at the same time, you also transform how application development is done and how security is done. So you transform to microservices, you decentralize your development team. So now you have lots of small uh, uh, development teams A centralized security team cannot secure all of that. So you end up transferring more of security responsibility to development teams. So now you need to figure out how they are going to cope with that added responsibility when they don't 
had skills or frankly even appreciation mm-hmm. of the security challenges and security um, importance and the importance of it. Yeah, we talk a lot with Moshe about uh, sometimes developers doesn't care about uh, security. Uh, maybe some of them, uh, yes, but uh, now the idea is to teach them also that it's not important how to do it. So it's a exactly. Different... I read a very interesting report from one of the analysts uh, publicly available where they uh, you know, surveyed the most important problems that developers are facing. I could not believe security has not actually appeared Mm-hmm. as one of the challenges, which is, which is telling, I think. Yeah. How much security can they do? I mean, okay, we understand that they need to uh, be more uh, aware to security. The, there's another, in the last couple of years, we've been saying they need to be more aware, we need to shift more responsibilities, give them the tools. But in the meanwhile, I see that there are other people who are saying, hold on for a second, this is not the role. Uh, they're not supposed to do that. They don't have the knowledge. It's true that they should be aware, but um, from that and all the things that you, when you're shifting left, all the stuff that you pour on them, like uh, testing and checking and, and checking dependencies and all of those stuff, they will not be able to uh, sustain all of this. What do you think? We That's need to exactly give them all right. the... That's exactly sorry? right. So the mm-hmm. way you know, large and mature organizations handle this is that you do have security training for developers. There, there needs to be awareness, of course, mm-hmm. but... Cybersecurity space is evolving rapidly. You just cannot keep up. You, you essentially need to have a lot of expertise to keep up with what is happening, and you cannot count on developer community to do that. That's why DevSecOps emerged, which is essentially a trend to not just transfer responsibility to developers, but give them tools that can, in an automated, as transparent a way as possible to developers, provide them the security expertise uh, through tooling, through automation, and so on. The space is uh, established, but there is a lot of work that still needs to happen to truly help developers with um, recognizing, fixing security problems, while at the same time giving uh, security teams the level of visibility and control over the development practices and all the security checks that are being done so that end-to-end you establish this healthy collaboration between security experts and developer community. Okay, interesting. Now, uh, moving forward, we said that there will be two things or two parts of this conversation that we're going to discuss based on your research. The first one is uh, working with regulated industries and most, uh, mostly about compliance. How do they deal with compliance? The second part will be about zero trust in containers, but we'll get to that in a second. Can you tell us a little bit about your work with the regulated industries and uh, the challenges? So one of the biggest problems that a regulated industry faces when they move to cloud is how do they implement the security controls that they are responsible for and how do they prove to an auditor or to their customer that those controls are being made that are being implemented they are implemented correctly and they are effective okay so regulated industry generally starts the process from looking at regulations that they are responsible for in every industry there is a different set of regulations and every period of time these regulations are being updated by by a regulator so they have to interpret what this means in in technical terms regulations are usually you know english language or other languages <laughs> type of document and you need to figure out what it means in te- technical terms what kinds of Uh, uh, operational policies you need to have in place. Some of them are technical, many are not technical, but you have to go through this process of interpretation. 
this is a very uh, manual kind of administrative, I would even say, process. You essentially need to have a compliance SME, uh, SMEs working, you know, uh, trying to uh, working together with technical experts to figure out how those mappings should be done. Yeah, now, I've been then, uh, I've been participating uh, one time. Uh, the CSS, the Alliance is a project that is mapping all those kinds of regulations to uh, to uh, basically 140 controls. It's called the CCM Cloud Control Matrix, and it's amazing how the language could be so different, but the idea behind the, it's the same. So you map everything to, I don't know, good password uh, policy, but there was the way that they pronounce it in their different regulation, it could be very, very different. Exactly. So, yeah, I, 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 semantic gap here. <laughs> yeah, I totally relate to the, to the work of translating what the regulator wanted to say to what we as the technical people understand. Yeah, <laughs> but it is a daunting problem because when you have your uh, mappings and interpretations established in an on-premise environment, established over a long period of time, and now go quickly through the transform transformation of all of that because you are moving to cloud while keeping up with updates, it's a daunting process. It takes months to get mm -hmm. through this. So there is some work that is needed to help with that process just to figure out what should be done, right, mm -hmm. in technical terms. But then once you establish that, then you need to, you know, you have mechanisms for implementing these uh, controls in a um, kind of codified way, um, monitoring, providing visibility, helping with remediation. So essentially the entire operational process needs to be put in place around that. And then the final step, which is in fact the entire workflow is audit readiness. So now you interpret regulations, but you are operating them in a, in, uh, in your environment, auditor comes and you need to understand what kind of data auditor needs, provide the data, collect evidence to support the, uh, uh, your statements as to the implementation of controls and their effectiveness. So that again becomes a very manual process, which combined with the fact that you just shifted some responsibility to developers, ends up being very complex because you need data from development teams. So do you want your development teams to now spend time collecting evidence for your audit uh, uh, process? So that ends up being incredibly complicated in the context of, of cloud, and it really needs a lot of innovation to, to, be, to be solved and streamlined so that regulated industries can move to cloud, get the benefits of cloud in terms of agility, speed of innovation, and all the things they're seeking, while also being able to accomplish the you know, comp uh, the objectives of compliance and security. Okay, th this is really interesting. And so what you basically did is automating the process. And I know that you've been developing open source and adopting standards. Can you tell us a little bit about, okay, this research, how did this come to life? So we are focusing on, on in all these three aspects that I mentioned. So the first one on processing regulations, we are looking into applications of natural language processing. It seems like a, a you know, a really good domain mm -hmm. for that, uh, for these technologies. On automating um, uh, the actual uh, operational policies implementations, um, most cl cloud providers have tools available and we have uh, a, a tool system called uh, Security and Compliance Center that IBM Research helped deliver. So that is relatively well understood space. And now on the process of audit readiness, um, the key problem really is that you are dealing with so many different tools that are involved in, a, in the process of security that you need to collect data 
from so many tools that you are running against the fact that there are no standards, right? That, you know, every tool is a different, a different interface, different data, different re re regulatory programs require different data. So that becomes incredibly difficult to automate uh, because of this heterogeneity. But, you know, help is on the way. Um, I, uh, United States government, NIST, has started working on a, a standard for audit readiness, at least for government pr purposes, which is called OSCAL. And mm -hmm. that standard has been published uh, in a version one just in January this year. So it's a new thing, but at least, but it's, you know, it's becoming ready for, for consumption. And OSCAL really defines a standardized workflow, how audit process should be working. It also provides schemas for key type, types of data that needs to be exchanged in the process of, um, in the audit process. This would be things like your security profile, your system security plan, then your um, assessment result, and also provides interface for auditor and the provider to, ex uh, to exchange uh, you know, document requests and, and uh, mm -hmm. results. So this, it's a good thing that standard is emerging. What we are doing is defining tooling and building tooling around that standard. So we have a project that we call Compliance Trestle, which we open sourced. And uh, it essentially tries to define this kind of opinionated workflow built around OSCAL standard and is trying to simplify the processing of, of OSCAL documents. As you can imagine, they can be very complex mm -hmm. considering the volume of data that needs to be exchanged. Mm -hmm. So Trestle is, is simplifying that. Okay, first of all, uh, before I forget, make sure to also later, later send us the link for the open source so we can put it in the episode website so people can take a look at it, also for the OSCAR standard. So basically we're saying, okay, so compliance is basically made from, first of all, identify the requirements, understand what the regulation is asking, then uh, uh, analyze it. This is an area of natural language processing that needs to read it and say, okay, so all of this mambo jumbo is basically ending up in controls one, two, and three. Yeah, um, sorry, not a regulation or mambo jumbo, but most of them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and then uh, there's a process of implementing compliance. What artifacts? What kind of data you need to collect? Uh, how do you do collect it? What uh, on what frequency and uh, what is the format? And those stuff are basically uh, defined in an OSCAL. Uh, in sorry, in the OSCAR standard, which is NIST uh, standard, and what you did is basically trying to automate it. Yeah. So the idea is continuous monitoring, continuous audit, continuous compliance. I mean, how would you call it? A very good question. We call it compliance as code sometimes. Mm, and, uh, we also call it uh, continuous audit readiness. It really depends on the context. Okay, I like uh, I compliance as code because then it interacts with. We're uh, looking for industry buzzwords around uh, <laughs> yeah. this set of technologies. That these are the ones. Yeah, uh, interesting. Okay, so this is the first part of how highly regulated industries can um, uh, ease up their uh, compliance efforts. The second part, uh, which we're talking about, is more technical, and this is basically building containers platform uh, with zero trust and uh, correctly and more secure. And uh, this is a very technical work. Tell us a little bit about it, like like begin with uh, defining what is zero trust in a containers environment. 
Yeah, so zero trust can, uh, as a concept is a way, uh, is a recognition that uh, you should not have to trust an uh, environment to which you deploy, deploy an application, that you should have protections built around applications themselves. So essentially applications secure themselves. Um, most uh, often it is mentioned in the context of networking. So traditionally you rely um, on perimeter when you deploy your application. Say I'm deploying an application to secure a perimeter. So within that perimeter, I can trust everything and everybody. Uh, when you move to cloud, this is completely broken, right? You don't have, you don't mm -hmm. have that perimeter. And when you think about um, uh, concepts like distributed cloud, you actually go from this cloud from a big data center into uh, branch offices or even edge and far edge, this parameter is becoming even more uh, uh, diluted or essentially disappears. So that, this is where the uh, original concept comes in. And the idea is I cannot trust perimeter, so I need to ensure that my application can protect itself without it. That means every inter interaction between, with other applications, with data, with underlying platform, with, a, with users, needs to be properly uh, authorized, uh, authenticated. Okay, this is really interesting. Um, uh, so the application cannot trust anything that is coming outside because everything that is coming from outside could be uh, malicious or uh, redirecting. So basically talking about uh, when we spoke before, we talked about three pillars, the isolation, the identity, and the integrity. So let's uh, dive in. I mean, how can you uh, basically, uh, how can you isolate those different uh, right. workloads? So mm -hmm. the best way to avoid having uh, trust is to isolate, right? If you could in ensure that uh, your application cannot have contact with anything or any um, uh, malicious uh, entity, this would be best. Isolation can be accomplished in some contexts. For example, when you uh, take an attack vector of application running on an untrusted uh, platform, untrusted operating system, uh, the way to, uh, to do the isolation here is by using a confidential computing. Confidential computing really protects your application from an administrator, uh, anyone with root access, getting access to your... We need uh, to define confidential uh, computing at this point. Uh, can you say it again? Well, we need to define what is uh, confidential computing oh, at this point. So confidential uh, computing is a set of hardware technologies that uh, uh, essentially physically isolate or uh, uh, provide... Um, uh, a protection of a uh, virtual machine usually running on a system. This is done by, either by physically isolating a network uh, memory accesses in some platforms. In others, it is done by, by encrypting memory for the benefit of uh, you know, specific uh, uh, virtual machine. This way, if you are, uh, if you are even a root, root on the host, hardware underneath uh, uh, ensures that you cannot see the data in the clear. Different platforms use, you know, one of these two mechanisms, but uh, mechanisms, but it's a general. Okay, but you need, first of all, it's coming from the hardware. So you need a hardware manufacturer to support it. I know Intel and AMD are supporting this type of hardwares and cloud providers are now starting to adopt uh, those that's right, platform. and IBM on Z platform and P platform also supports that, and uh, ARM also has a mechanism. Different mechanisms, but fundamentally, say, is the same objective okay. is being accomplished. So what can you achieve with confidential computing? When you, have, uh, when you put your workload in a confidential VM, virtual machine, then um, if, even if a hypervisor underneath is untrusted, so you, you don't trust the administrator, 
your workload is protected, meaning that administrator cannot dump memory of your virtual machine and steal your data. That's the point. So not all attacks, of course, are prevented this way, but that one is. So you can, that's why it's called confidential, right? Hmm. Okay, so basically uh, I'm running my virtual machine on top of an untrusted uh, uh, environment. I have some kind of a hardware uh, chip that I can store my certification or encryption key or isolated memory. Let's uh, don't decide between those scenarios. So I have some kind of a mechanism where I can store uh, safely information and this is uh, untouchable by hypervisor slash administrator external one. Uh, that's, right. that, that's the idea. Okay, and how, um, how, so that's the idea that each virtual machine or container, can you do this at the container level? That's a very good question, right? Yeah. Because well, mm. we, we've talked about virtual machines, but earlier we said users want to do containers. So mm. how do we combine the two? Exactly. That's an interesting area of research actually. So building um, uh, various uh, encapsulation sandboxing technologies for containers that leverage isolation of virtual machines. So uh, example from open source communities, Kata containers, for example. Um, other sandboxing technologies have also been invoked. Um, uh, we are prim primarily looking at Kata containers at the moment as a mechanism, but also trying to uh, ensure that we um, uh, kind of reduce it, really simplify it so that it does have a look and feel of a container with micro VM technologies and so on. Uh, okay, interesting. And uh, one use is encrypting the VM slash container isolation. We also talked about, uh, for instance, secret management with this tool. Right. So we... that's another problem, another attack vector that you have when you are running in an untrusted platform. What about, so your platform is uh, Kubernetes. We are running containers, Kubernetes mm -hmm. being the most popular platform. So now uh, Kubernetes is very nice. It helps you uh, with, with uh, injecting secrets into applications. So you have this orchestration problem solved. But what if your secret is stored in Kubernetes uh, at CD and administer administrator can get access to it? If you don't trust that administrator, it's a pretty a bad situation. So how can we avoid uh, keeping secrets in Kubernetes or keeping secrets in a vault where that Kubernetes holds um, uh, Kubernetes master holds master, uh, holds master key to, right? Mm -hmm. So that's another problem. So the way we do it, uh, we, we are proposing it is, is that, you know, orchestration platform should not know any of your secrets. Access to secrets is authorized based on identity of the application that wants that secret and on policy defined with respect to that identity. When I have that, then I don't have to have any intermediary uh, trying to coordinate uh, the injection and uh, orchestration of secrets. Um, so that's uh, how we look okay. at it. So uh, again, in the past, what we used to do is have some kind of a secret embedded in the machine, probably in a directory that nobody would think about with certain permission, but this was the way that we authenticate to the vault. Now the authentication comes from a hardware based uh, mechanism that is FIPS and uh, all the protection is. And basically we're talking about much higher assurance level. If I can have identity that I can measure and then mm -hmm. verify sign with my root of trust embedded in hardware, I have much higher level of assurance that that identity cannot be tampered with. And mm -hmm. I can uh, give grant access to secrets based on identity, not based on some, uh, you know, you know, by uh, storing the keys in the in Kubernetes master.
Okay. We also discussed the fact that you can uh, uh, do stuff with the encryption of the traffic using the, those uh, chips with the ICO. Can you give us a little bit of a word about ISO? Uh, right. And another technology that, is, uh, that has emerged in the cons with the uh, uh, implication on zero trust are service meshes. So Istio being one such service mesh, there are others. What it gives you is the ability to uh, automatically in, encrypt and authenticate communication between different microservices. Um, and again, it is based on identity. So it's identity-based access control and one can extend it with identity that is measured and backed by the root of trust. So this way you can, we can have very high assurance that only microservices that are properly uh, identified can talk to each other. Can you define the root of trust for a second? This is a very, very good concept <laughs> because the, everything that we are discussing starts with defining some root of trust, mm. right? You need to have some place, this may be an HSM or some vault that is in a secure location from which you bootstrap the trust in every element of the platform. So in our case, um, we first bootstrap the, uh, the essentially established credentials between the uh, mm -hmm. root of trust on the physical machine where the workload is going to be running and the root of trust that we have originally established. This may be in a HSM or something like this. Once we establish that root of trust, we've, we've established the chain and we can use the trust on the physical machine to further, uh, uh, to further establish trust in, in elements that are running on top of it. Okay, so basically back to the vault example. Um, again, I, I put all my secrets in Vault, but how can I authenticate to Vault? So this is, again, this is the root of trust. Uh, you always, exactly. This is yeah, the fa I, fundamental mm -hmm. problem in, uh, in zero trust that you always need to have something that provides you the original trust. Yeah, and the uh, confidential computing can basically give me this root of trust, and then we implement it into a stronger isolation and stronger identity practices. Con to be precise, confidential computing mm -hmm. gives you the mechanisms for isolation, right? Mm -hmm. Integrity is a parallel thread that you need to establish next to it, right? Confidential computing and integrity, they come together. These are mm -hmm. two separate, um, uh, also related Confidential computing isolation, but you can only establish trust by building this chain of trust that we just discussed. Okay, and uh, last uh, our last topic in this uh, part is basically integrity that you just now mentioned. So I guess you can also do integrity for different stuff inside the application. Can you give us some examples? That's right. So integrity, uh, as we, we said earlier, we can establish it for the platform underneath through, mm -hmm. you know, things like, you know, TPM and, 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 uh, and measurements, uh, measured trusted boot and so on. We extend this into the uh, application layer, right? At the end of the day, you also need to know that your application maintains integrity. Identity is not enough because application might have been tampered with. So you mm -hmm. want to uh, authorize access based on integrity as well. This covers uh, several aspects. One is um, being able to monitor for any changes to files in the application. File um, integrity monitoring. Yeah. File integrity monitoring. All of this mm -hmm. so technologies like in Linux kernel, there is um, integrity measurement architecture that helps you with that. But mm -hmm. also monitoring the behavior of the application. So there might have been mal malware injected and the application behaves now in a different mm -hmm. way. So that uh, can be done by monitoring 
So for example, monitoring system calls and analysis of that, uh, of calls that you observe to identify anomalies. There is a technology that uh, my colleagues in research have uh, open sourced again in that concept, uh, in that area, it's called SysFlow. So what it's doing is uh, monitoring containers from the outside, so you don't have to inject anything inside a container, right? So the developer mm -hmm. doesn't know. It's collecting system calls and uh, it's building a model uh, of these system calls and then applying various types of uh, analytics to identify you know, malware, other types of misbehavior. Okay, so, so basically I have an application that if somebody is changing a file, somebody is changing an application component, managed to inject something to the memory, to inject something to the file system, I'm using the, the basically the confidential computing again as a source of trust in order to identify those uh, those uh, integrity mess-ups, mess I don't know, those changes to the system. This is best, that's the idea. Right, so you just want to know that that application has not been tampered with. Okay, very interesting research. What, uh, we haven't spoke about this in the preparation, but in the future, what do you think will be your next research? I mean, what is the next interesting thing that you want to investigate? And can share with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, uh, so I, I got fascinated by security space, to be honest, this was not my original area. I sort of was forced into it when I was building a container cloud and I had a few of those Oh my goodness moments because I realized that you know if I don't if I don't start looking at security I think I'm going to be in deep trouble. <laughs> so this is how I got forced into it and I um, but I got fascinated with uh, with the concept with the uh, the challenge of security but also with the aspect that if you want to solve the security problem you need to simplify it. Mm -hmm. Right? And that this has been really the the, the crux of uh, you know crux the, the kind of the gist of my work. I am I not don't consider myself deep security expert, but I apply expertise that I obtained from uh, from others and try to simplify it in the context of of cloud. So I think I, in that space I, I definitely continue doing this, but the space is becoming more complicated because of movement of uh, cloud outside of big data centers to edge, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. where security challenges are go going to become a lot more profound and, uh, and they still need to be solved. I, I also happen to think that a lot of the ideas that we are pursuing are very, very relevant and very helpful in that context. Okay, very interesting. So yeah, um, the hybrid cloud is really catching up and we're going to have the edge computing and we have uh, different models. So you probably have your plate full with uh, new research ideas. Um, so thank you for all the, uh, all the efforts and thank you for all the open source that you give to the community. So trying to summarize everything we just spoke, basically we talk about two uh, parts of your research. One is regulated industries. The challenge is that they need to analyze a lot of regulation, and then they need to understand it and map it and then automate it, uh, sorry, and then comply to it. So we're automating the process by, uh, first of all, understanding the regulation by natural process, uh, natural language uh, processing, and then we uh, understand what the regulation should be, and then the automated the flow 
of the compliance effort themselves. And then we talked about uh, containers and container isolation. And we talked about the new techniques that you can do isolation using confidential computing and new uh, modified hardware that the cloud provider are now uh, starting to implement. And then we can isolate the traffic, we can isolate the, uh, the workloads, we can isolate identities, we can iso basically create better containers ecosystem with integrity checks. And uh, actually, I think confidential computing is one of the more interesting things that is happening now uh, on, the, on the cloud. Uh, so happy that you shared all your insights with us. It's the future. It's the future for sure. Yeah, totally. And also, it's the big change, I think, between the on-premise and the cloud. Because on the on-premise, to, to start buying new hardware just because of uh, security chips, I don't see too many organizations are doing it. And in the cloud, you just hop on and uh, you have this uh, hardware. So it's a big game changer for the cloud providers. Okay. Any last words you want to add? Final word. It was a pleasure talking with you. Hmm. Thank you. Excellent. Very yeah, it, it, it was really fascinating. Uh, I can say from my side that uh, I don't came from also the deep security. Uh, uh, lucky I have Moshe to, to help me with that. But uh, I think that the future is containers, uh, uh, the development future is uh, containers, it's right now. And, and there is a lot of things to do around there. And uh, I think that you explain it uh, great. So thank you for your time. Uh, thank you all our listeners. And uh, hopefully the COVID will be over soon. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and we're going to... Yes, hope. And we're going to have links to all the open source mentioned on the uh, chapter website. Go and take it out. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Bye-bye.